Good morning, everybody. Everybody doing good? Well, my name is Pastor Derek, the lead pastor at Connect. It's uh, my pleasure, honor to uh, introduce you to a new series today uh, entitled God of the Underdogs. I hope you guys are ready. You got your worship guides. If you have your Bibles, you can uh, turn to Luke chapter 14 and just kind of hold your place there. We'll come back there in just a second. For those of you who are uh, interested um, in, uh, you know, how many out there are readers? Readers? All the readers in the house? Readers are leaders. All right. Anyway, I got two books up here. The first two to grab it can have it right here on the stage. Ding, ding. You can have it. You got to. Oh, look at that. Wow. Okay. All right. The violent take it by force, the Bible says. So we saw that. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're beginning a series today that's uh, in cooperation, in conjunction with uh, really thousands of other people, hundreds of other churches, I believe, all over, the, all over America today. Uh, Matt Keller, a friend of mine in this ministry, really good friend of my brother-in-law as well, uh, wrote this book called God of the Underdogs and introduced this series. And it's just, it's an all play. It's kind of a it's a safe zone, but it's also in the faith zone. You know what I mean? It's one of those series that you can invite your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, uh, those people that are in your sphere of influence to church, and then you can be, you can be uh, you know, confident, rest assured that it's going to be something that's going to bring uh, life. It's going to fire you up. It's going to inspire you in your faith. Can I have an amen out there? And so anyway, the truth is everyone uh, kind of has a secret uh, passion or, or strong conviction or feeling and loves uh, an underdog story, you know, whether you're watching television, whether you're, you know, watching a sporting event, whether you're watching a movie, that's usually the, the ones we really get crazy about because it gets to build the character development and the, you know, and the storyline and whatnot, or it's real life situation. Uh, we, we're, we're either secretly or overtly rooting for the underdog. Sometimes, even as like a New England uh, fan of sports, um, been here in a really a winning culture, sometimes when another team comes in and they're just getting their butt kicked, I'm secretly rooting for them. And then at the end, I hope we kick their butt. But, but uh, <laughs> you all know this to be true, and, and there's this thing in me and there's this thing in you that kind of pulls uh, for the underdog. And I think it's because there's a little piece in each of us uh, that identifies with or feels like an underdog. We want the underdog to win, and there's a little underdog in all of us. Amen? You know what I'm talking about? And if honest, at times or you know, sometimes or maybe even all the time, uh, you feel like an underdog, and we often, uh, because of our humanity, certain situations, certain scenarios, certain, certain circumstances, we came to a place where we felt like we couldn't or we didn't measure up. We fell short. We missed the mark. You know, we, we, we didn't really, we didn't hit the homer. We didn't even make a base hit, a bunt. We just, we just felt like we came up short, and regardless of our upbringing, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of maybe our family line or heritage or whatever that is for us, or even things that might be against us, we, um, we just sometimes deep down feel like the cards are stacked up against us, the odds are against us, and, and we can't imagine or seem to see what God has in store for us, what God sees in us. I, I, a lot of times refer to this as uh, uh, God glasses. We all need God glasses. We all need to be able to see through the eyes of faith. You know, there's, there's a part of me that you see. This is my public self right now. You know, but there, there's also a, like a, a private self that I, I let my wife see, you know, but I don't let everybody else see. And then there's the blind self. There's the part that I can't see, only somebody else can see. But there's another realm. It's the, it's the potential self. It's the part that only God sees. 
and God wants to take us there, and he wants us, he wants us to see what he sees and see as he sees. And, and if we can see as he sees, we can do as he says. Amen? And so that's kind of some of what we're going to talk about today. And I want to illustrate it with just a personal story, a, not a personal story, but an actual story that happened in this church. And, and, and the illustrations and the, the examples today are going to be right from Connect today, home base. Um, not too long ago, uh, we had a woman in our church, and I won't mention her name because some of you would, would know her. You'd still, some of you would still try to figure this out as soon as I start talking. But um, there was a particular person, and I'm going to call her Susie Q, so you're totally thrown. I'm just kidding. Um, but she was, um, she was pretty. She was cute. Uh, she was really funny, uh, extremely funny, very loving, very talented uh, person. And uh, everybody loved to be around. Everyone adored her. Um, kind of popular, let's just say, in the church. And, and she struggled, though, uh, inside, even though things looked okay on the outside. There was, a, there was an inner battle. There was a struggle with kind of the underdog within her. And it, it kept her from really getting healed and really getting whole and, and really getting connected. And it kept her from, I think, her true identity in Christ. Um, she, had, she had come to know Christ and experienced, you know, that, that grace reception. She realized <clears throat> that she needed him for that eternal relationship with him. But she really hadn't kind of worked out her salvation like the Bible says, you know, with the fear and trembling. It's the, it's the process and the journey that, that kind of got cut short. And eventually she made some unhealthy choices and kind of veered away from her, from her faith. And she stepped back into the world that she determined once to completely walk away from. And she did what uh, sometimes I call a, a 360 instead of a 180. You know, sometimes we, 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 we know we did wrong, we repent, and then we do a 360. We go all the way back to what we... And God wants us to do 180s. He wants us to say, you know, I'm sorry, you're right, I'm wrong, I confess, forgive me, God does. And then we change our behavior. We, we go in a different direction. And anyway, she went back to the world that she decided to walk away from. And, and uh, in essence, she let uh, kind of the underdog spirit begin to take her under again. And it started to take her under pretty strong. And my wife and I became very alarmed and other people in the church that were close to her as well. And we made strong efforts to try to pull her back. And I can remember talking to her and asking her some tough questions, kind of a, a showdown, see how much influence I had. How much, could I, how much could I do to pull her back? And other people were doing the same thing. And it was, it was serious. It was really serious. We were really concerned for her. And I can remember one time just, you know, asking her, I said, do you believe that Jesus loves you, Susie Q? And she said, yes, of course I do. I believe Jesus loves me. And I said, you know, um, well, then how do you think Jesus sees you? If he loves you, how do you think he sees you? And, and she said, well, she goes, Pastor D, she said, she, she used to call me P. Diddy. P. Diddy, she said, I know that he loves me. And I know that I'm in the family. And then she threw in a butt. When you see a butt, you know there's going to be a problem. Our butts get in the way a lot, don't they? Turn your neighbor and say, your butt's getting in the way. No, don't do that. Don't do that. that. We want to make it through the service. She said, but I feel like the runt of the litter. I know that he loves me. I know that I'm in the family, but, but these butts need to stay behind us. Forgetting what is behind us, the Bible says. Uh, but I feel like the runt of the litter. And I remember thinking, oh, she couldn't be further from the truth. Nothing could be more uh, 
you know, wrong than that thought and that, that idea of how God sees her. And I was so concerned. And even though I thought something different, it, it mattered what she thought as a man or woman thinks in her heart. So is she or so is he, right? And so then I, I said, you know, Susie Q, I want to tell you a story. And at the time, this was about, you know, seven, eight years before. I said, seven, eight years ago, I did something that I said I would never do. I would never, never do this. Never say never, by the way, all you Justin Bieber lovers. Never say never. I, and I, I did something I said I'd never do. I went and I bought a dog. There would be no series complete without a story about a dog when we're talking about God of the Underdog. So I had to have this in there. So I went and I bought a dog. And um, I told my family I would never do this. I promised them I would never do this. And, and yet somehow I got this gravitational pull towards this dog. And somehow they, because they just laid it at the altar and they just gave it up, somehow that idea was resurrected and somehow I, here I am. And I went to this kind of... Uh, you know, puppy pound or whatever you want to call it, um, to uh, check out kind of some options there. And, and, um, and, and I determined that I'm going to buy a dog. And I can remember getting there and all these crazy little dogs there, all these little feisty, spastic animals jumping around. And I remember walking in just overwhelmed by the noise and by the energy. And all these people are shopping around, look like they know what they're doing. And I had no clue. And dogs are in these kennels and they're jumping like, take me, take me, take me. You know what I mean? I'm really good. I'm perfect for your family. You know, no, really, sir, come back. I don't bark that loud. You know, and they're just going crazy. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. And they're practically jumping out into my arms. And uh, you get the point, right? All right, I don't need to do any more impersonations. Take me, you know. Um, but while I was trying to figure out which one to pick over all this noise and all this energy and feverishly jumping dogs, my eye caught this one dog in this, this little kennel with all these dogs in the front barking at me, and he's back in the corner away from everybody else, all by himself, just kind of sitting there, quiet as can be, real shy, beautiful black little dog, cute, just kind of looking at me, looking away, looking at me, looking away. He still does that to this day. Looking at me, looking away. And, and I just, I was drawn to him. And so I went to the owner, and I, you know, I just... I just said, tell me about that one. And he replied, oh, you know, he's a pure breed, uh, great owners, uh, usually great dogs for family, but, here it comes, there's the butt again, but, uh, you know, uh, for some reason, he's really shy, and he's kind of insecure, and he's just always away from everybody else. And, and uh, you know, and I responded, you know what, I'll take him, I want him. I said, well, we'll love that shyness, we'll love that insecurity right out of him. He'll, once he knows he's a fry, pff, he's going to be all set. He's going to be all set. And that's exactly what happened. And we, we took, I remember taking the dog home, and he was just shy as could be. And I remember driving home, and he sat in my hand right, right like this. It was just a little, little puppy just sat right in my hand, and I'm driving home, and he's just kind of whimpering and looking at me and looking away, looking at me, looking away. Again, still does it to this day. And I get home, and I call a family meeting. And back then when I called a family meeting, the kids did it right away. It was just the way it was. Now it's a little slower. Um, everybody downstairs in the den. They all come downstairs, and they line up, you know, uh, on, on, on the furniture. And I said, you know, Daddy's got an announcement, and I got this dog behind my back, sitting in my hand like this. And they're all lined up like ducks in a row, like, what, what, Dad, what, what, Dad? I said, I want to show you something. I want to show you something Dad said he'd never do, because I love you so much, and because I'm the best dad in the world. Come on, somebody. I said, come on, church. They're like, yes, sir. And then I just popped this little dog out like this, and I went like that. And the dog didn't move, not an inch. And then all of a sudden, Mallory starts crying, is he real? Because <laughs> he didn't move. Yes, come on, wake up. 
And they were all freaking out, and they're all excited. And that hunter entered our life, and we named him Hunter. And he didn't look like a hunter; he looked more like the hunted because he was so small. And he eventually grew into his true identity. He eventually became very secure. And even as a little dog, he kind of owns the neighborhood. And all the big dogs just, you know, he just kind of gives a little thing, and they all, woo, you know what I mean? Huge dogs. And he's strong, and he's secure. And, and he's loved, and he's been the joy of our life, and it's just been a blast to see what has happened to him since he's been a part of our family. And again, the reason I share this is because that is what I shared with her, and I've shared it with a couple of people over the years, because that's a picture, I think, of how God sees many of us, and how I think he sees me. I think he specializes in taking the ones who feel uh, like the run of the litter, you know, sometimes the most confident people on the outside project a certain amount of confidence. There's, there's insecurities. There's uncertainties. There's, a, there's, a, there's an identity struggle within all of us at some place, at some time in our life, and sometimes all the time. There's an underdog within all of us. And, and I just want you to know that God specializes in taking people like us who feel like the run of the litter and giving us love, and giving us identity, and giving us a purpose, and really that's what this series is all about. It's, it's, and, and the truth is that God is way better than I was, and my family was with Hunter. He is, he is the God of the underdogs. He's way better at this than we are. But what causes us not to only see ourselves wrong, but to choose a different path, is what we're going to spend a lot of time on during the series. See, many of us uh, we see ourselves that way, and then our be- and the th- way we see ourselves affects the choices we make and the lies that we buy, or what I want to introduce you today, the excuses that we accept. Excuses. Everybody say excuses. We're going to address different excuses that different characters in the Bible have, have uh, thrown at God when God's thrown an invitation at us to a better life and to a better way, we throw excuses at God because we see God wrong, we see ourselves wrong, and then we buy these lies and we invite these excuses into our life, these buts that get in the way. And so the big idea is this, and you can look at your notes, the truth is everyone God uses in a great way was an underdog and had to overcome everyone that was used in a great way, everyone, all through history. Christian or non-Christian, I could throw out, was, that was used in a great way, had to overcome an underdog excuse. Whatever obstacle that you've overcome, whatever situation that took you higher, whatever um, relationship where it grew and was strengthened, you had to overcome excuses in order to be used by God and to change your world and change the world. And so, again, we'll take a different look each week. And stories is how God... In particular, Jesus in the New Testament uh, uses, uh, he uses stories to communicate these truths, to expose the lies and, 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 and make us aware of these excuses. And, and what he did was he would use the, the original audience and some of the excuses that they had at that time s- to help them see. And what we need to do is kind of modernize those a little bit. And today we'll do that as well. And so this week we're going to look at a story or a parable that Jesus told to communicate his passion Uh, his love for a hurting, broken, lost world. And today we're going to take a look at God's heart for the world. You know, God has a heart for the world. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. How did he change the world? He changed the world by giving. He gave. God loves the world. God loves all people. God actually is love, 1 John 4.8. 
We need to have and reflect his character and personality. And so today we need to learn how to change. Before we can see a change on the outside, we have to have some changes on the inside. Luke 14, I'm going to be kind of uh, unpacking verses 15 to 23. It's our main text. I'm going to be throwing out some bonus scriptures, some bonus material for all you note takers. My, my, my son was quoting this last service, but I believe that the pen and paper will remember what the mind forgets. I really encourage copious notes whenever you can, so I'm going to throw out some extras for you for those of you who like that. But verse 15, Luke 14, follow with me. It says this. Jesus is kind of uh, coming out of a previous story where he's, where, where he's telling people, hey, don't try to get yourself at the head of the table. Don't push yourself to the front. You know what? Step back in humility and let God exalt you. Let God invite you to the banquet table. And then in verse 15, it says, When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said this to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. What he's really talking about is like a meal, like supper time. He's using kind of something that we all can identify with. Is coming together at the dinner table. I mean, it's an intimate correlation that we can all kind of connect with. Meal time, supper time. Not so much now in our culture. Now we think supper time's, you know, on the run in a van with Mickey D's. You know what I'm saying? Things have changed. But then he goes on, and he goes into kind of story mode. In verse 16, he says, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. Did he do a few guests? No, he did, what, many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Now look at what happens next, and this is so relevant to us today in our lives. In verse 18, it says, But they all, that's, as my wife would say, you all, you all began to make what? Excuses. Everybody say it again. Excuses. This is the butts, the big butts in our life. Excuses. Big butts get in the way of what God would like to say and do through our life. And the first said this. Here's the first excuse, and we'll kind of unpack these and interpret these, all right? These are the excuses that keep us from God's um, invitation, God's... Um, blessing in our life. God doesn't want to just save us. He wants us to enjoy an abundant life. God wants to do something through us. He wants to introduce us to something bigger than, our, than ourselves. And when we're introduced to something bigger than ourselves, then the, small pro the problems we have become small. They diminish. They are marginalized and minim minimized. They are shrunk. Sometimes they are eliminated, not just reduced. And so that's what he wants to do. But the excuses get in the way. And the first excuse was this. One guy said, I've just bought a field. In other words, he bought some property, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. I can't, I can't do that right now. I can't come in. I can't accept your invitation. Verse 19 and 20. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen. That's basically representing business. I got, I'm making money right now. I'll get to that a little later. I'll put God in the equation a little bit later, but right now I've got to build up my business right now. I've got stuff I'm trying to work out. I'll get to that a little bit later. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. The butt again. Still another said, I just got married. In other words, this, this represents relationship, the primary relationship. But even this relationship is supposed to be subordinated to this relationship. All relationships to work and to be better need to be subordinated to the primary relationship. God says, I'll have no other gods before me. I, I want to be first in everything. I want you to love me with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. I, I want you to forsake mother, mother. Even hate is a word of contrast, not actually what God wants us to do. Father and mother in, in contrast to how much you love me and care for me. But, but, but I just got married, so I, I can't come right now. And, and, and John, 
uh, I think it's chapter, chapter 1, it says, He came to his own, and his own received him not. See, what happens is, sometimes as the family, we become familiar. Familiarity breeds contempt. We don't take things so seriously. We become desensitized. We don't really, uh, we can't be kind of pricked in our heart. We can't really be prodded and goaded to do what's right. We, we, we don't have the honor and respect you know, that in a family situation sometimes, even with your kids, they love you, you know you love you, and, you know, but, but sometimes the respect seems to diminish, and then somebody else's kid can come into your house and like, how you doing, Mr. Fry? Uh, very good, thank you. Um, would you like to come in and join us? Yes, sir, I would absolutely like to do that. <laughs> and then I say, Devin, want to come for dinner? What? <laughs> Just kidding, Devin. Uh, sort of. Anyway, but th- this, is a, this, is, this familiarity and this kind of a familial attitude is a, is, is a problem sometimes. And, and these excuses are common obstacles to God's plan for our life. The, excuse people, the excuses people come up with, especially, I would say, believers or family, it amazes me. And I'm, I'm part of that, the excuses I throw out. And you know what? It fires God up a little bit. You're going to see that in the text here. And we're, we're just kind of satisfied with just knowing we're in the family but we don't appreciate what it means to be a part of it. We don't accept our role and responsibility within it. Are you tracking me with me out there? And so we, we in essence, we, we want to get in just enough to cross the line so we can continue to own our life and live our old life. This is better preaching right now than you're praising. Okay? So, so God doesn't like this. It upsets him because here's why. He knows I, he, I think he feels prejudged. This is just my words, God. I hope I'm doing a good job on this. I think he's saying, do they not know my character and my nature? That I'm a loving God. That I'm a generous God. That if they'll surrender, you know, their agenda, if they'll surrender their priorities, if they'll put me first, I'm going to give them so much more back than whatever it is they had to release, whatever it is they had to give up temporarily, whatever, whatever priority they're willing to say, no, not right now, now it's going to be you right now. Whatever, they don't realize what I want to do for them. And you know what? It kind of hurts them, I think, and upsets them, makes them kind of righteously indignant. Check out this verse. This is, I think, it's not a direct reference, but I would say it's a parallel reference, bonus scripture, from Matthew 19.29. Matthew 19.29. You don't have this, but I'm going to read this to you. It says, and everyone who has given up, look at what happens. Everyone who's given up houses, property, brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or children, that's like relationships, or property, uh, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much in return and will have eternal life. So the things that you're giving up, I'm going to give it all back to you a hundred times over and you have relationship with me forever. And that shouldn't be like, oh, and you get relationship with me. This should be, and you get relationship with me. Amen? I don't know. This is better preaching for me. I, I, I'm getting something out of this. This text is so unbelievable. In other words, when we give up our excuses, God gives us so much more than we could possibly ask or think. God hates excuses. Verse 18, he says, but they all alike began to make excuses. Let's talk about some modern excuses. Let's help, let's help describe these a little bit more. What are some of the excuses we throw at God's invitation? We throw at God's um, you know, process. Here, I want you to put me first, then look what I do for you. We kind of, one of the things I think we do is we say, I don't believe. That's the first excuse is I don't believe. Write this down in in the notes. Unbelief keeps us from pleasing God. Unbelief keeps us from pleasing God. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But we must come to God. We must believe that first he is, that's 
you just got to start there, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So some people uh, are not realizing that it's faith, opposite of unbelief, okay? Faith, your hope, your trust, put transfer of, from you to him. That's what pleases him. Our goal should be to please God, not prove something to God, but please God. And to do that, you have to believe that he is. Well, I believe that God is. Okay, but do you believe he's a rewarder? Well, yeah. Well, then if you put him first... That will show him that you believe he's a rewarder because you know he'll reward you for putting him first. If you put him first in every area of your life, I always do this acrostic for first. First in our finances, first in our interests, first in our relationships, first in our schedule, first in our troubles. When you put him first, it's saying, I believe you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. It's amazing. The second modern excuse is I don't care. I don't care. Indifference is another way of saying I don't care or a lack of care. Indifference separates us from the love of God. So the first one is unbelief keeps us from pleasing God. Indifference separates us from the love of God. We, we become indifference and the I don't care attitude that can kind of take us over. This excuse, it, callous, it makes us calloused, desensitized. You know what happens when that, when that happens? It's, it's kind of it's dangerous, really. We become... Um, desensitized to the Spirit of God, the voice of God, the Word of God, and, and, and then we can't, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is not at work in our lives, redirecting us. It's a dangerous place. And many uh, have experienced this at different levels. And, 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 and God's trying to, he, he has different ways that he works through. He tries to speak to us with a still small voice. He, the whispers of the Holy Spirit, the Bible talks about this. And, and, and then if he can't get you that way, if we turn the volume down on that, then he brings people in your life. Sometimes it's your spouse. Sometimes it doesn't come in the best packaging. Sometimes she didn't say it like you wanted her to say it, or he didn't say it like you wanted him to say it. But, but God was bringing, it's a strong way to say it, but like a prophetic warning. He was, he was speaking through that person to bring truth into your life. And because you turned down the volume on the, the whispers of God, then it had to come with a little bit of a yell. And then when, we, then when we turn down the people that God's put in our life to help us see, and then, he'll, he, then he uses circumstances. And he used those circumstances to kind of bring us back to himself. He didn't cause these things to happen, but he will leverage those and use those. And then when he can't get you that way, then sometimes he relents, he just steps back. And then that's when judgment comes, and it's tough. And sometimes people have to hurt enough, they have to change. But God's using all of it to try to bring us back to him. And I don't care separates us from the love of God. We can't experience really the presence and the, and the and intimacy that he has for us. The third excuse is I'm self-absorbed. Everybody say self-absorbed. Here, here's, here's the line here. Selfishness isolates us from the intervention of God. Selfishness isolates us from the intervention of God. When we're all preoccupied with my stuff, my issues, my problems, we're lint pickers. You know what a lint picker is? You know, you got the lint on your shirt. You know, does it, do you ever get it all? It's like you'll be picking lint the rest of your life. You know what I'm saying? So that, that's what self-absorption's like. We're constantly, we'll never be able to get all our problems all worked out. I had a guy at the, the gym that I, I grew up at, really since I was 15 years old, here in town. He used to own the gym here in town. He no longer does. It was many years ago. And, and I, I would witness to him. And there was a season in my life where I was not as diplomatic. And so I'd kind of get up in his grill, Charlie, hey, man, these things aren't going to work out, you know, until you put God first. Yeah, 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 I'm not ready for that right now. I'm not ready for that right now, D. And, and life just kept 
it was just getting nuclear on him, just getting worse and worse and worse. And a couple times he yelled at me and, you know, t- you know and said some really not so nice things and I'm still upset about it. And um, I keep coming back and talking to him about it. But the, 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 the common message that he, you know, he just kept telling me over and over again and just kept bringing back is I got, a, I got a bunch of stuff to work out first. I really can't, you know, bring that into my life. I really can't go to church. I really can't invite God in my life. I got to work out some stuff right now. There's some things that I got I to deal with by myself. And you know what? A year went by, two years went by, ten years went by. You know what the message was? Exactly the same. Because he's just picking lint. He's self-absorbed. And selfishness isolates us from the intervention of God. When it's better to be saying, you know what? I can't fix my problems. I can't do this by myself. I need you, God. Amen. I'm desperate for you, God. I, I, I need, I, the, I'll be picking problems the rest of my life. I need you. In fact, God has a solution for all this. He's going to actually heal you up, and then he's going to introduce you to a bigger problem, join you with some other people, and we're going to get some stuff done. That's what the church is all about. Amen? So I'm self-absorbed. Here's the fourth one. I'm too busy. Oh, this one's, this one's going to hurt, guys. Say, I love how it hurts. I'm too busy. You know why it's going to hurt? Because it's an all play. I think this is such a big problem in our culture today, and I hope it can come through without condemnation because I'm guilty of this myself. But listen, write this down. Busyness keeps us from the feet of God. Busyness keeps us from being in the presence of God. Many people are not encountering God because they're so busy. By the way, if you're tired, you're the devil's coming in trying to keep you from this message because I am not boring. So poke yourself, okay? Um, but, but busyness will try to keep you from the presence of God. You need an encounter with God. You don't just need information. You don't need just religion, do this, do that, go to church, read your Bible, underline this. Under, you know, we're professional Christians. We highlight here. no. God, God wants so much more than that for you. You know the story of Mary and Martha. One was busy about many things, but one knew when it was time to get at the feet of Jesus and just lay all, everything, just put everything aside. It's all about you right now. I acknowledge you like my wife was preaching about this. You know, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I put you first. I declare your greatness. It's about you right now. Or the woman with the, with the alabaster jar of perfume. A year's wages. She just poured it out on, on Jesus' feet. It seemed, like, it seemed like a big waste. Not in the kingdom of God it wasn't a big waste. And people have been talking about it ever since. And I'm talking about it again today. So clearly it was important. We need to be able to be at the feet of Jesus, but we're too busy. We need to create margin in our life. We need to make sure that our priorities are in line with his priorities. Most of us are, are prioritizing our schedules and we're good at it. Oh, I can get more done if I do this. And I can work, you know, 69 million hours this week. And, da, 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 da. and we got tech going in this year and tech going in this year and an iPad here and a plug-in here. Da, da. We're in the matrix. <laughs> For the love of Pete, something's going to break down. God's saying, unplug for a few minutes and schedule your priorities. Not prioritize your schedule. And if you'll make his agenda your agenda, he'll make your agenda his agenda. Amen. Amen? Amen? That's what God's thinking when he's looking at all this craziness. Oh, well, it's just as soon as I get this project done, then I'm going to get back to church. Or just as soon as I get this debt paid off, then I'm going to start tithing. Or just as soon as I get the kids, you know, through this little thing right here, then we're going to do this as a family. And we're going to start, you know, spending time in the Bible and having devotions again. Or just as soon as I get over this little thing here in my, in my yard, then I'll start going to a small group. I mean, what do you think God says when we say we're too busy? 
Thank God he's not too busy taking care of billions of people's problems. Thank God he's giving us time to work it out in his patience and not coming back too soon so that all of us would take the time to come to him. So what does God think about all this? Verse 21, the servant came back and reported this to his master. What did he report? All these excuses. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant. He was indignant. Don't misinterpret this. His anger was actually motivated by love. Have you ever had somebody who's just angry and venomous and malicious? And you know, you, you just, but then you have somebody else who you hurt them and they're angry. There's a different kind of, there's a righteous indignation. And that's what's really going on right here. He's motivated by love. He was trying to give as many people as possible the rewards of sitting at his table. Think about it. Are you following this out there? Am I doing a good job at this? God wants all people to be saved. He wants all of us to have abundant life. And he frankly can't believe anyone would reject his invitation to be on his team, to be at his table, to be a part of what he's about. And Jesus, with his love for the lost and hurting world, uh, he's trying to transfer this responsibility to his church. We're the church. We're called to actually carry out this plan for him. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5 says we are his representatives and God uses us to persuade men and to get them to drop their differences and their excuses and enter God's work of making things right. We're speaking for Christ himself now, it says from the message translation. So this is our role now. But then he says in verse 21, the master says this, God says this, go out quickly. Everybody say quickly. In other words, it's urgent. The, 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 it's, like the, it's like when you think about the meal analogy, the food is hot. You need to get in here now before it gets cold. Another way to say this is every invitation from God has an expiration date on it. It won't always be out there. I don't want to miss that. And so he says, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in. So first part of this, this, this parable is an exhortation to us to drop our excuses. And as the family and as the church, get over yourselves and make my agenda your agenda. The next part of this chapter is saying, here's what I want you to do. And here's the people I want you to reach. And he says, go out into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And these four groups of people represent different things. Let me give you the, the, what the they represent. The first is the poor are those who have been cheated by the world. Those who have been cheated by the world. There are different types of poor. There's financially poor. There's emotionally poor. There's spiritually poor. All right, we, we're always familiar with the financially poor. You know, the Bible says that anyone who uh, lends to the poor lends to God, and God will repay everybody back. He, he owes no man anything. So when you take care of the poor financially, God's, God says, it's like you're lending money to me. And I don't owe anybody anything, so I'll pay you back. So it's wise to take care of the poor. As a church, we take care of the poor strategically through our missions partners and specific efforts. We don't just scatter seed and just throw it out anywhere and everywhere. We're accountable for the money that we, we, uh, steward, we steward it wisely. Does that make sense? Then there's the emotionally poor. These are people who are depressed, discouraged, uh, despondent. And, and the Bible has solutions for that too. The, the Bible says in Isaiah 26.3, he will keep him, or you could say her, in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Psalms tells us many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Afflictions doesn't just refer to our physical pain, it refers to our emotional pain as well. But then there's the spiritually poor, and that's the one I wanted to kind of camp on. There's, there's kind of two types 
of poor here. There's the, the spiritual poverty, which is about when you're depending on you. And then there's a divine poverty when you're depending on God. So there's a spiritually poor where you're empty inside and you're relying on you to fill that side of you. You weren't created to fill that side of you. God is the spirit. And God wants to fill that part of the triune being. You need to be in relationship with him and right with him. And, and we're called to help people who are poor in spirit. Or excuse me, who are spiritually poor. There's, there's a, there is a, a spiritually bankrupt bankrupt society and culture out there that need what you have and don't know what you know. Matthew chapter 5, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's the, that's the good kind of poor. That's the poor in spirit. Our Catholic friends kind of get this wrong. They think it's a vow of poverty, financial poverty. That's not what it's saying. It's saying poor in spirit is a dependence on God. Saying, I need God. I won't make it without God. John the Beloved said, I must decrease, you know, so that he can increase. It's not about me. It's about you. That's what he was talking about. So we have to have the right kind of divine poverty, not be spiritually poor. But we're called to reach people who are emotionally poor, people who are spiritually poor, people who are financially poor. We're called to help all those types of people. We had a woman here years ago. Her name was Kathy. Am I worked up or what? <laughs> I am not on caffeine. This is just... Jesus juice. And so this woman, Kathy, she was here years ago, and she came to our church, and she was addicted to all kinds of stuff, chronic sickness and ailments. She was on all kinds of medications and uh, dozens of medications. And she just came to church just sitting under the Word week after week after week after week. That's why it's so important to be in church because the Word is, is alive. It's alive. It it's alive. It changes you, okay? And so she sat on the word week after week, and she'd go back to the doctor, and she said, you, the doctor says, you're looking better, Kathy. What are you doing? I don't know, I don't know. Finally, she began to realize what she was doing different that was out of her routine. And so the doctor said, do you, do you understand that we literally begin to eliminate every single one of your medications to the point where she was on nothing? She had been on stuff for decades, and, and he said, what are you doing? She said, I started going to church. I've been in a small group. I've just been going to church and sitting under, you know, teaching and stuff like that. He says, whatever you're doing, keep doing it because you're totally healed. You're totally healed. We had another lady in our church. I, she might even be here in this service or working because she serves all the time. She's a serving machine, Trish. She came to our church to uh, witness, I think it was Lisa, get baptized. She came to see Lisa get baptized. And, and the first time she came, she's coming up the stairs, and she had chronic migraines her, like for years, years and years and years. The kind where you lock yourself in your house, you pull down the blinds, no light because like, you feel like a vampire. Ah! You know, and she, silence, total tortured pain. And she comes, and the day she comes, she starts getting a migraine upon arrival. Wouldn't that be like the devil to get a migraine the day you come the first time you come to church, especially a church like this? And she's kind of she's like, I don't know if I can make it, I don't know if I can make it. And the music is pumping. <laughs> the walls are shaking. You know, I don't know what Deej just got the bass jacked up. I don't know what's going on. And she's like, Oh, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do it. And she's like, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. And she kind of overcame that underdog and she op opened the door, she walks in, and within minutes. In the presence of God, this is what separates us from all the other religions of the world. This isn't a, you know, a personal growth seminar. It's, it's what separates us. If God's spirit doesn't go with us, then I don't want to go. That should be our attitude. And she comes in, and she feels the presence of God. She starts to cry, and she starts just losing it. She doesn't know why, and the songs are making her cry. And the, I hear this all the time. I hear this all the time. So if you're not experiencing that, it might be because you're calloused in your heart. It might be because you're indifferent. It might be because one of these excuses is a, there's a big butt in your life. Maybe it's keeping you from the presence of God. But she came in and all her butts were out of the way. And God healed her and she's never had a migraine since. Ever. I could go on all day. 
I could go on all day. There's another woman my wife was just telling me about yesterday that just started coming to our church, and she had some kind of emotional problems, and she's coming with her daughter, and I haven't had the permission to talk about her specifically by name, but she's being transformed by just sitting under the word, just being in his presence. I am so over time. Number two, the crippled. And I'm not talking so much about the physically crippled, but rather those who have been broken by the world. There are many in this category that you know and that are near you. Many that are here in this room that were crippled by life but are now free, praise God. And, and, there, and there's, a good, there's a bad broken and there's a good broken, by the way. There's a crippled by life, sidelined in resignation, kind of dead inside. I see many people get so close to that place. And then God restore them. And there's a good broken. There's a broken that Psalms talks about where they're contrite, you know. There's a contrition. Uh, Psalms says, you know, that God will, a broken and contrite spirit, God will not deny or cast away, where we're just kind of malleable. But then there's, then there's the crushed. And, and, if, and if you'll open up to God, the Bible says that he is near to the brokenhearted and those that are crushed in spirit. In Psalms chapter 34, verse 18. That's the God that we're supposed to bring to the world. That's the God that we're supposed to, we're supposed to help people that are out there and move them in here and get them healed. Last week, you got to see someone who was crippled by life preach right here on this platform, my spiritual son, Jason. It caught, his crippling caught up with him in an ultimate sense, and he was, a, he was a warrior, but he was a wounded warrior. And ultimately, his wounds came through like a, like a dirty canvas and bled through in his life, and, and, and he wasn't responding to them, and he was making excuses, and, and it required a lot of, a lot of tough conversations and, and ultimately some, some discipline and some difficulties and through prayer and through encounters with God alone and through, you know, process, God healed him and saved him and rescued him. And Jason no longer is walking with an emotional limp and he's free because he was able to let God heal that crippled side of him. Maybe you're a wounded warrior. Maybe you're walking with a limp. God wants you to be free, by the way. You got to give someone, by the way, to get free. You got to give. You got to give three people permission. You got to give yourself permission to stop carrying that all by yourself, living in isolation and insulation, thinking you can do it by yourself. You can't. You are created to be an interdependent being, not independent, not codependent, interdependent. You need God and you need people to get free. So you got to give yourself a break. You gotta. You gotta give permission to stop doing that by yourself. You gotta invite God in. You gotta give God permission, and then you gotta give people permission to stick their finger maybe in your eye in some of those sensitive areas. You know where we do that? We do that in small groups. Some people are going, "Well, sign me up for that." <laughs> it doesn't start right away. You don't get in there. People just go in like you know what I mean. That's what the women's groups do. Women's groups are like. Women's groups are like my wife putting on her makeup. They just get right in there, you know, and whoa. Whereas guys were like, ha, 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 don't touch it. We're slower. But anyway, you get the point, all right? Get in a small group. Get in some of these freedom groups that we have, life groups, and some of these groups that can help you overcome wild at heart, etc. Sign-ups are today, by the way. Number three, the blind. Those who have never had a chance to see. This is the one I have a lot of passion for, and since I'm way over time, I'm going to have to ask God to surprise me with being concise. But there's a, there's a group of people, pre-believers, I like to call them. When I was growing up, we used to call them heathen. That's horrible. We're not better than anybody out there. We're just better off because we know something. 
and we're supposed to give it away. Your faith was never meant, it's personal between you and God, but it was never meant to be private. Your faith, you're a walking billboard. You're a living curriculum. You're, you're his letter to the world. We're supposed to be in and out of the church. The same, by the way. Congruent Christians that reach people, that make a difference. And we know what it is to have a relationship with a Savior, not a religion with a statue. Come on, somebody. You know, God wants us to be, you know, about the people. And we need to have a burden for souls. We need to care. We need to care about people. You know, God has a lost focus, and a lot of times the church has lost its focus. I think the church should be about that which is lost. If you look at Luke chapter 15, it talks about all these things that were lost, and I talk about this in our spiritual family class the first Sunday of every month. But recently I lost my wallet. It's no surprise because I've lost my wallet many times. <laughs> and when I lose my wallet, it's all hands on deck, and everybody's uptight. Because dad's lost his wallet. So everybody better help me. So that's just about a wallet. What if it's a person? I say, that's just a wallet. What if it's a person? Well, it should be even more serious. I don't know about you, but, but we have a lot of kids, okay? We have four kids. It's a big family in today's world. And, and one time we lost a kid. Has anybody ever lost a kid anymore? Make me feel better out there. Anybody? Okay. All right. We lost a kid. We were on the beach. And some of you have heard the story before, but just indulge me so that you get the point. If, and if you've heard the story, can you give it away? But anyway, uh, we were on the beach, and, and it was, we were, had that built-in babysitter, otherwise known as low tide. You know what I mean? Just go, be free, you know. You know and, and, and I'm closing my eyes, and Stacey's closing her eyes, and I thought she was on watch, and she thought I was on watch, and all of a sudden we both opened our eyes. And we're looking around, okay, one, two, three. Three's good. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Where's the fourth one? Where's the fourth one? And, and we're looking around. We can't see her. And we're okay for a little while. And all of a sudden, it just goes from a little concern to, oh, my gosh, where's Madison? You know, kids, Devin, uh, Morgan, uh, whatever your name is, Mallory, get over here. Which one have I lost? Okay, you're there. You're there. Okay. All right, we got to find Madison. All right, all right. Everybody kind of huddles up and we're ready. And anybody who wants to help us, come on in. And anybody who doesn't want to help us, get out of our way. Because that which is lost is our total focus right now. And Madison's this super little loving kid at that now, but also then she, she was the kind of kid that would go around and hold people's hands. Hi, what's your name? My name's Madison. Hi, hi, hi. You know, sit down with people, talk to people, all that kind of stuff. She's the one that helped Jason learn how to be loved. She used to get in his lap, rub his hair, and he'd be like, ugh, ugh, and, and so he knows how to hug now because of Madison. And it takes a family, a village, to anybody, whatever. So... We, we're looking for it, and we're all on the hunt, and then we finally find her, and she's, we went over these sand dunes and over the back, and she's down there at a picnic table eating with an elderly couple lunch. She's like, oh, yeah, just, mm, oh, that's so awesome. And so we went over there, and they get my arms around. I'm like, oh, thank you so much. Madison, you okay? Are you okay? I'll kill you! Thank you so much. Oh, so glad. <laughs> the point is, the point is that God is frantically preoccupied with that which is lost. He is so consumed by that. That's the point. And he's saying, that's what I want the church to be consumed with. I need you to be all about that which is lost. And here's the deal. If you're about that which is lost, if you make his focus your focus, he'll focus on the stuff that you're worried about. I think he puts, to the extent that we have made his agenda, our agenda, he's put his favor on our church. And if you, me, 
will take on, as saints, our responsibility to reach more people, to pull people from the street to the seat who don't know, who don't see what you see, who haven't heard what you heard, who don't know what you know, and pull them in here, he'll put favor on your life and this church. Come on, somebody. And so we have to do that. Anyone who turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. What can I do to help people see? we got to partner up. I, 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 I'll do what I can do if you'll do what you can do. I don't know the people you know. I don't. But if you get them here, I can promise you that there'll be a predictable, powerful service with excellence that will present things, and then there'll be an invitation to the table every single week. And there'll be, there'll be the best Sunday you've ever had is when you're, you're, the person that you've invited accepts that invitation. That's when you'll say, I love my church. That's what this is all about you got to do what you can do. We've had 267 decisions for Christ this year. But God has so much more that he wants to do through us. I was thinking about people who got saved, and you can stand up if I call your name. Some of them were in the last service. Uh, Tanner Bradley, uh, Kristen Poe, Jake Stewart, who's not here. I was just, he was texting me last night. I want to stand because I gave my heart to Christ there. Karen Galuzzo, these were all in the first service. Samantha Lavoie, Laura Val. I could go on and on. If you didn't know what you know now, if you were blind before and you came to Christ here, would you stand to your feet, Bowley? Would you just stand up real quick if you came to Christ here? Can you give these people a big hand? Come on. You didn't know, but now you know. Look, all the way in the back. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Praise the Lord. You guys can sit down. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I want to conclude with this last point. We're called to reach the lame. We're proud of you. We're called to reach the lame. Today and long after today, there will be people who need a touch from God, a touch from Jesus. You know, there's some things that medicine can't fix, a message in a service can't fix, you know, some kind of, uh, uh, you know, um, program can't fix. Many have not received what you receive. Many have hurts, they have habits, they have hang-ups, they have problems and situations. And the Bible's telling us in this text we must compel them to come into this hospital to be healed. Verse 22 says, Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but still there's room. There's still room in this house, by the way, right here, right now. And when there isn't, we'll make room. We're making plans to make room. Because I'm expecting you guys get this. I'm expecting you've assumed responsibility for this. The master then told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. What does God want his house to be? He wants it to be full. God is interested in numbers because every number matters to him. Every person, you know, was on a different destiny. Now it's altered. We're connecting the disconnected. That's our job and that's our responsibility. And I believe God wants to expand, connects, reach this fall. I believe he wants to enlarge our territory. Are you with me out there? And some here and out there need a touch from God. People have experienced relational pain, divorce, separation. Some people are disillusioned, disenfranchised about church, discouraged, wounded, hard hearts, all that kind of stuff, and they need a touch from Jesus. And I was praying last night, and I was praying this morning. I was like, God, what, how, do you, how do we do that? What does that look like? How do we get there? Maybe you're here today before I answer that, or maybe, maybe we even experienced that. Is there anybody here who needs a touch from Jesus? If you, if, if you do, would you stand to your feet? If you know, maybe you know you need a touch from Jesus, you need a miracle in your life, maybe there's a problem in your situation, in your life, a situation in your life, and you know only God can answer that problem, would you stand to your feet if that's you? 
Maybe you know somebody who needs a miracle, who needs a touch from Jesus, and you would stand in proxy for them. You would stand on their behalf. It's a marriage. Maybe it's near divorce. Maybe you just went through a divorce or separation. Maybe it's a financial problem. Maybe it's a physical problem. If you need a miracle, I'll say this. You might need, as, as it were, you might need a resurrection in your soul. You know, for there to be resurrection power, first there has to be kind of a, not kind of, there has to be a death of sorts, not to be morbid. Galatians says, I've been crucified with Christ. <laughs> I no longer live. But now the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To really experience resurrection power of a relationship, of a situation, of a problem, you have to be willing to say, God, I'm giving it all over to you. My total, everything that I am, I give to you. I tell you what, this whole month's going to be uh, this reoccurring motif underneath these messages you're going to see dealing with excuses. Also, we have to deal with the subject of surrender. And I was just saying, you know what? <clears throat> People just got to come to Jesus. People just got to go back to him. Would you close your eyes and just bow your heads? as we pray. Father, in the presence of God, I just pray that people would be touched here right now. I'm pushing the envelope, maybe. But I believe that God wanted to do something in, in the presence of the Lord. I pray, Lord God, that you would be here right now in your presence and you touch people, whatever their situation, whatever their problem. Even as, even as they sing, Lord, this song, I just pray that you meet them right where they're at. In Jesus' name. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about the name. Master, Savior, Jesus. Like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let all heaven, let all heaven and earth proclaim. And kingdoms they will all pass away but there's something about your name I was shackled by a heavy burden this is how I get free beneath the load of guilt and shame then the hand of Jesus touched me come on say and now I am no longer the same he touched me sing it out come on everybody oh he touched me yes he touched me And all the joy that floods my soul Something, something has
touching you right now in your heart and it would be wrong I would feel remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity to connect with Jesus personally you know the most important thing that you can do is is find relationship with God be made alive in Christ and as a part of your tripart being that is desperate to connect with God and it's made possible when you experience by faith the grace of Jesus Christ that says you don't have to pay for your sins and you don't have to do a bunch to earn it. He already did that and you accept that and because of that you can be a different person, a new person. You can have a new beginning and a new day and eternity begins right in that moment. Relationship with Him forever. And if you know He's knocking on your heart and you want that, you want that on the inside so that things go better on the outside, just raise your hand and say good and high. Say that's me. I need to have that all over the room. God bless you. God bless you. Good and high. God bless you. I need that. God bless you. God bless you all the way to the back. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you all the way to the back. I need Jesus, and I want to know that with certainty. And if, if you've never made that decision before, it's so important that you tell somebody, you put that on your connection card. We want to help you on your journey. We have a hassle-free guarantee. We want to give you something to make that process. But your, your heart is changed in a moment. Your life can be changed in the presence of God in a moment. But your, your lifestyle, your character, being, being uh, formed into his image is a process and a journey. It's so important to get into a church. It's so important to get into a small group today and walk that thing out. Would you just pray this with me and say, Jesus, touch me. Thank you for touching my heart. Thank you for inviting me to the table. I I accept. No more excuses. I'm coming to you. Be my Savior and be my Lord today. I choose of my free will to follow you now and forever. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you seal that commitment. I pray that they know and and have the confidence on the inside that their name is written in the Lamb's book of life in accordance with your word and angels are rejoicing in heaven because a sinner came home because one who didn't know knows one who is blind can now see and the veil is taken away and we praise you God in Jesus name and everybody said amen come on let's give the Lord our best shout our best praise all over the house come on I'm going to let him go Hey guys, uh, 201 tonight at 5.30. Hope you guys will be there and don't forget to sign up.